We are, in the first three months of this year, we are focusing on Love Builds. Everybody say, Love Builds. Pastor Keith and Pastor Andrew, in the last couple of weeks, have been talking about love building a family, love, uh, love builds. Today, I want to uh, continue on that series and talk about love builds depth. Love builds depth. Uh, what, 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 is, what am I trying to say with that? Love building depths, it's, uh, it's how love ought to build us from the inside to build our inner life and our inner world. If we all realize in our growing up, in our raising of our own children, ourselves, a lot of focus is on the outside world. I mean, the, the outside of us, like your studies, your, your, your career, your family, and, and things that we do with other people. So little is being addressed on you know, we don't have a class in school that teaches us how do you build yourself on the inside. One of the most tragic things, tragic stories that I heard last year was when a pastor by the name of Andrew Stockline uh, in Inland Hills Church in America uh, decided to kill himself and uh, committed suicide after a bout of depression and anxiety. He left behind three very beautiful children and a wife, and he was only 30 years old. And as I was getting ready to speak on this subject today, so I went to the internet and I clicked on his name, and I went to their church website. I clicked on the, a video, I mean a, a sermon video, and as I was watching that video, I, I couldn't stop feeling broken. I, I just happened to click on the last message that he preached on a Sunday before he took his own life on a Friday. And, and there was no hint, there was no clue that he wasn't doing well because he was telling the church, hey guys, hey, I want you to know next week, uh, come back because I prepared this sermon series that's going to bless your heart and blow you away. Come back and bring your friend and, and I, I can't wait to tell you. And, and he was talking like that and then come Friday, he took his own life because he was struggling with depression and with anxiety. So I have, I have to go and study and deal with this issue of depression and anxiety and stress. And I think all of us go through this to a certain degree, to a certain extent in our lives. And what I found was really interesting when I read this article because mental health is going to be one of the biggest problems in this generation. The stress that we face, anxiety, the depression, is going to be one of the more crucial things that will affect our generation this time around than ever before. And to actually go and read up and discover what actually causes mental health, number one, according to this article, it's actually flexible working. I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, the flexible working of doing whatever you like, whenever you like, it's one of the reasons that contribute to anxiety. Increased alienation due to technology and globalization when everything can happen at the end of the fingertips through your phone, through your computer. You don't have to go to your office. You can work wherever you want, whenever you want. It's causing depression. It's causing anxiety and the fragmentation of the, of the traditional interactive workplace. The, the fragmenting of not being able to come to work together at the same time to meet your colleagues, to talk, to pray, to chat, and then after that, to go for lunch together are some of the factors that contribute to a disordered mental health and and it's affecting us both in the public and the private arena of our lives because what's happening out there in our workplace is happening to us in our downtime how we live our lives you know we always joke about this oh i i need to go to a holiday because i've worked so hard the whole year it is time for me to go away for a break and, and so, so we, we want to go for a holiday. And then when we come home, 
we're actually quite tired from the holiday, so we actually joke about needing another holiday to recover from the holiday that we just took, right? And uh, we talk about this all the time. But perhaps, why do we need another holiday to recover from the holiday? Perhaps the, the real exhaustion is not physical. The real part of us that is tired is not our physical body. Maybe it is our soul that needed rest. Maybe it's our inner world that needed a break, that needed to come to a place where you don't keep having the routine bombarding you. In the past, we can, we can, we can just shut off the phone or the TV or the computer and nothing will, will, will get to us. But with smartphone, we are constantly bombarded by information, by news, by things that are happening around the world. You know, as a, as a charismatic, spirit-filled, inspiring church like this, I mean, the worship was great. How many of you appreciated the band this morning? Come on, let's give them a big hand, shall we? And, and, and in, a, in a charismatic church like ours, you know, we're always making sure as pastors and leaders, we're always making sure that you are well-fed. We are making sure that you get the spiritual food because that's our job. We are the pastor. We are paid to make sure that you study the Word of God. And, and, and so what happened is every Sunday when we come to church, we, we are the one that, that, that prepare the Word of God. We, we chew the Word of God. To a certain extent, we digest the Word of God and then we present the Word of God to you so that it becomes so practical so applicable, so easy to do the Word of God that you just go home with three steps to peace in life, five steps to prosperity, or six steps to an encounter with Jesus. And so we all go home with all, we call it nuggets of wisdom. You know nuggets in KFC or, or McDonald's are the chicken meat that is not real. There's no part of the chicken that's called nugget. Are you with me or not? And so, so we, we, we are the pastor. We, we prepare the Word of God. You receive the revelation through us. We, we chew the meat out for you. We, you know, to make it more gory, we are the one that get the chicken. We, the Word of God, we, we bite out the skin, bite out the, the, the fat part, and then, and then we, we chew it for you. Okay? We, we, we digest for you, and we make it into a meatball, and, and that's the nugget. And that's what we all bring home. And so we are so used to three steps, five steps, six steps, you know, all this thing that you are actually quite shocked when you finally one day go and eat chicken. Hey, got bone one. Why chicken got bone? Oh no, choke, die. <laughs> Friends, chicken has bones. Is that a powerful revelation? The chicken has bones. But if we continually come to a place in our lives where we are the one that chew out the bones for you, you will never know how to eat chicken properly ever again in your whole life. Life is not made up of nuggets. Life requires us sometimes to recognize that the chicken looks like that. Somebody got to slaughter it. And people that eat nuggets all the time, they cannot cope with the fact that they have to slaughter chicken, they become vegetarian. Some people, when they did a survey recently, they asked the kids in the class, where do you think nuggets come from? Some thought that it was grown on trees. Christian faith can become like that if we are not careful. And so, in our fervor and our desire to feed you, perhaps we have overdone it, that we are now actually spoon-feeding you, that you come to a point that you do not know how to find food for yourself. It is like a lion in the zoo for so long that you're not capable to live in the wild anymore even though you are the king of the jungle. That you have lived on the revelation and the perspective of the pastors and the leaders and your connect group leaders, that you've always been hearing them, that you have come to a place where it is just so easy. Where's my happy meal? That's why. We are only Christians looking for happiness, only human beings looking for happiness all the time, when happiness is not the only thing that defines us. 
John chapter 15 and verse 4 in the Message Bible, it says this, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you about us and Christ, in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. So Jesus is saying, if you want to live a fruit-bearing life, a productive life, you got to be joined to the vine, right? I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant, separated. You can't produce a thing. The Bible is saying that if we are separated from Christ, we cannot produce. But again, we want to be a good church. We want to be good pastors and good leaders and good connect group leaders. So what do we do? Because we want every one of you to be fruit-bearing Christian. We want you to be healthy. We want you to do well in life. We want you to be strong. We want you to be filled with the Spirit of God. We want your love, your, your life to count for something. We want you to impact your world for Jesus. We want you to be producing. So, in order to make sure that everyone achieves that, regardless of where you are at this point in your life, and in our fervor of doing those, we have failed to give you the tool to help you abide in Christ. Instead, we are the one that graft you into the vine. We are the one, the pastors, the leaders, through our teaching, through the Bible study that we give you, through all the revelation that we receive from God, we are like the rubber band that, you know, nah, we tie you in. You know, the Bible says, those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of our God, right? That's what the Bible says. But because we are the one that do the reading, we're the one that do the studying, we're the one that do the praying, we are the one that do the meditating and preparing the word of God and making them into very beautiful and, 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 and nice piecemeal to everyone. It is like the pastors and the leaders or the leaders over your lives we are the one that is digging the ground for you. We dig and we dig the ground. Well, we don't dig it somewhere else. We dig it in, our, in the courts of our God so that you will flourish in the house of God. So we dig the ground. We, we, we do all the studying. We dig the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We meditate. We spend time praying. Now, the hole is deep enough. You are a tree. Albert. So we plunk you into the hole that we dug. It is the Word that we have studied. It is what we think is good for you. This is the package that you should take. Uncle in, and then we bury you. Seemingly look like a healthy tree. Seemingly fine. I'm straight. My leaders are good. My church is awesome. Teaching is systematic. I'm straight. But the problem is, it's not a real tree, isn't it? Why? Because the moment the wind blows, the slightest of problem in life appears, the tree tumbles. The slightest of challenge takes place in our lives. Oh, my nail's broken. I don't want to worship God anymore. My best friend found a girlfriend. I don't want to go to church anymore. The slightest of challenge in life, we quit God. It's not because God is not real, but because the tree has not developed roots on its own to learn how to abide in Christ. <laughs> I want to tell you, in a world that we live in today, because everything is about efficiency, productivity, and standardizing, you know, words like SOP, it, it's, it's way more crucial now than ever before. I think sometimes as a church, as a charismatic church like ours, we come to a point that is so dangerous that we even hung the fruit on the branch for you and just like you pick it, making you believe as if that you are a fruit-producing Christian. This is a heavy topic because if we do not address this, a lot more people will struggle with mental health in silence, on their own, and nobody knows what they're going through. What am I trying to teach you this morning? What am I trying to get at? I want to attempt for the first time in our church, for the first time in the history of a charismatic church like ours, I'm going to talk about the importance of soul 
keeping, the importance of soul care, and to how actually look after our own inner life, our own inner health. But before we, we go there, let's discover what is soul. You know, when you, when you do go to a concert and you see a, a person singing passionately, you will say, wow, that person is so soulful. It's like, Phew, beautiful. Or you, you see an art piece that is painted from the soul of the artist. You realize that, wow, like it somehow connects. And that's why some people cry when they see certain art pieces. The soul, what is the soul? And as I was preparing, I, uh, I'm trying to figure out what's the soul. I, uh, I was driving. And I think the Chinese language has uh, the simplest way to define the soul. The soul in the Chinese language is the word seeing, seeing the heart. All right? When the teacher says, the, the teacher is not talking about your Romeo and Juliet broken heart, heart. You understand? Not? The, the teacher is asking you, are you fully, totally immersed in the lesson? See, that's the trouble of preaching in Chinese service and then come back here. Uh, leftover, leftover. And conquer and, because somehow from the way you write, you do your, your, your work, it doesn't correlate with a wholehearted contribution. What is the soul? You know, people have all kinds of attempt trying to... to to discover the soul and if you watch cartoon growing up you realize that the soul is when Duffy Duck dies and then there's this Duffy Duck that flies in the sky and that's that's the soul you understand there, there was even a doctor that attempt to weigh patients before they die and after they die and realize that they lost a certain weight and that's the weight of the soul doctors you got to help me verify I don't know but people attempt and this morning, I want to share with you this idea about the soul by, by helping you to understand this. We are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means we are not made to be self-sufficient. In the Bible, when God created the universe, and when God created Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground, and then when the Bible says, and God breathed into Adam, and if the breath of life, God was giving them a soul that is made by God, that is made for God, that is made to need God. So the purpose and the identity and the pleasure of our lives is when we realize that every one of us need God. And that's where we find that the ultimate joy of life is to be connected with God. Are you with me this morning? It is our soul that differentiates us from other living beings. How many of you have cats at home? One, two, three. Three people. Nothing wrong with having cats, okay? Just that I don't like cats, but uh, Anna, we are friends, but no cats. How many of you like dogs? How many of you have keep dogs at home? You know, have dogs, okay? How many of you keep Rats, okay, no, rats are self-invitement. Have you seen pets? Pets, sorry, not pest. Pets, your, your pets gathering together and they're, they're very down. They're not eating, they're not sleeping. So they went to the neighbor cat. They, they're trying to find out what is the purpose of life, you know, like, What's the point of doing all these things? Every day, climb tree, come down, eat the fruit, and then go back up the tree, down the tree, and then, you know. No, 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 animals don't do that. But there is this thing in us that at every juncture of our lives, we want to know, why am I here? What is the meaning and the purpose of life? Dallas Willard explained the soul as this. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything, 
going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is a life center of human beings. I'm going to talk about the different dimension of self in a while to help you understand. But Dallas says, the soul is a life center of human beings. If your soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. But if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. Let me help us understand better by looking at this diagram here. So imagine this is us. Right at the core of who we all are is our will. Okay? It's our will. That's the most inner circle. This is the place where you have the capacity to choose yes or no. Okay? The will is what makes us a person, not a thing. So you can decide here. But the will, if the will is everything that decide, then it shouldn't be that difficult if it's right at the core of it. But it's only taking a small part of your life. It is the smallest, most inner circle. The next part of a person is the mind. That's the next circle. All the ways a person is conscious of things. You know, your thoughts and your feelings are flowing through you all the time, mostly in habitual patterns that willpower alone cannot possibly redirect it. So for example, more often than not, when it's time to worship God, suddenly you remember something. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Pin pin one, pin pin has to, you know, pin pin, pin pin is like, pin pin, you know, like, pin pin, hey, start worshiping God. Hey, did I lock my house? Oh no, uh, where's my chicken? Is it in the oven? Or, or, or maybe we don't cook. Uh, there's no Sunday rolls here. Uh, uh, you'd be like, oh, did I do this? Did I do that? You, you want to be a good Christian. Amen? Your willpower say, yes, <coughs> I want to be a good Christian. But the thoughts keep flowing. So every time I'm preaching, you are like, is pastor going to end soon? Like, I'm hungry. But just now, no, not hungry. Man. Every time when I'm speaking, you are, your thoughts. So, so these thoughts are, are not controlled by us. It, it comes into our lives. Are you with me or not? Comes into us. The mind, the Bible says, craves for life and peace. So your mind always wants to have peace more than anything else. And then there is the body. The third circle is the body. The body is where our tiny wheels have a chance to be in charge. So we couldn't be us without the body. They are filled with all kinds of habits and appetites, the body. In a way, we outsource uh, some of our behaviors to the body so that the will and the mind uh, don't have to be too preoccupied by them. Like when you wear your shoes this morning to church, you don't have to decide whether you should tie your shoelace or not. You understand not you hmm, should I tie my shoelace today? Let me think about it. No, 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 no. you just have to tie your shoelace. You're coming to church and you're not nearby. You know, you, you don't have to sit at home for a while. Should I walk or should I drive? So, so these are all outsourced to the body to decide. It's, a, it's an instinct. It's a human response to whatever that we are doing at that point of time. But the soul of a person is not another part. The soul is a capacity to integrate all these dimensions of self. All right? The soul is trying to integrate the will, the mind, and the body in harmony and integration. And that's where you get the word integrity. In the integrity of a person is when your mind, your will, and your body are working in harmony. To make it simpler, the soul is like the operating system of our lives, the center of our being. So, if you, if you like uh, the illustration and help you understand better that the soul is the operating system, uh, your will is the command keys, yes or no, delete or enter. The, the, the mind is how fast your programs are going through, so whether your RAM is fast enough so the programs can keep, just keep flowing. The, the physical part is the keyboard that you type. Nobody knows, right? Let me ask you a question right now. What is the OS version of your phone right now? You know, Apple or Android always send you updates that do you want to update now? 
update later tonight or four hours later. <laughs> you understand? I am like forever next day, you know, next day. Just don't bug me. I'm doing my work. Nobody knows about the operating system until when something messes up. Until when your program is not smooth, when it is not in sync with one another, that's when you realize you need to check whether your iOS is up to date or not. Are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? Are you okay? So the human soul seeks to integrate our will, our mind and our body into one integral person. Beyond that, the soul seeks to connect with God, to connect with creation and to connect with each other. A soul that is healthy, a soul that is well-ordered, there's harmony between all the dimensions of self. To focus on the soul is to focus on the connection with God and the connection with one another under the care of God. Therefore, if a healthy soul is integrating, an unhealthy soul is disintegrating, where it is not relating to each other. To lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and centers my life. What is an unhealthy soul? It's a soul where the self takes over. When the self takes over. So the more we focus on ourselves, the more we lose our soul. The more we are obsessed with ourselves, the more we neglect our soul. Why is it? Because the soul, by the original design of God, it's designed to be interdependent, to be dependent on God the Creator and to be dependent on each other. Are you with me? But self is different. So the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. It is a verse probably we've seen it many times, but we probably got it wrong. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can, you, can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, when we read this verse, growing up as a Christian, we always think that this verse deals with the afterlife consequence. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul means? You know, what is the point if you have all the wealth in the world but you don't have Christ, then you are doomed, you are going to be in hell and you're going to be burned. That's what we think. But this verse really, to understand its context, is not talking about the destination of our soul but a diagnosis. A diagnosis of the condition of our lives. That means, even as a Christian, all right, our soul can disintegrate. Even as a Christian, when we are not connected to God, we can be separated. Our soul can be broken. Our soul can be destroyed. Because you know why? Because the soul is designed to depend on God. And that's how the world is organized. And that's how God organizes the universe. But when your soul is not centered and your soul is not healthy, that is when you begin to be disconnected and depart from God. Acquiring the whole world would not produce satisfaction, let alone meaning and goodness. And so, this verse applies to us, even as Christians. You can have all the wealth in the world, but if your soul is not healthy, it is still disintegrating. And if we focus on self, our soul will not do well. Because you know why? Self is a stand-alone unit. Self lives all by itself. While the soul reminds us that we are not here just for ourselves. The soul always exists before God. And now, as I try to explain to you what the soul really is, let me now attempt to teach you how to attend to our soul. In Psalms 46 verse 10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. That one of the things to attend to your soul is to learn 
to be still. It's to learn to be quiet, alone, and be with God. And the moment we quieten our hearts, we will know that there is God. And more often than not, when we quiet down our hearts, you will hear God assuring you that He loves you, that He cares about you. You know, at least for me, every time when I quiet down my heart and I'm alone with God, God will always ask me how am I doing? How are you? How's the health of your being? Maybe I don't have the words to define it. You know, hardly, you know, God will, hey, how's your cell group doing? Are you growing or not? How's your church? What's your size? Are you growing bigger or not? I'm not happy if it's not bigger. No, God always asks and cares about you. And I want to highlight to you every time when we choose to be quiet before God, you know, the expectation, the weight of the expectations of the world just crumble. And you begin to develop that trust in God. You know, you know trust? Real trust is not circumstantial. The real peace is not circumstantial. I don't need everything to be in good place, then I'm peaceful. No. But when I know my God, and I know that God loves me, and I have the assurance from God, yes, my world may be affected, but my soul may not be affected. I want to go to this passage of the Bible, and then we will draw a close this morning. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, you all know that uh, in the middle of January, a team of us uh, got the opportunity to go to Chiang Mai, and uh, we had our second silence retreat. Uh, silence retreat was the whole week where we were not allowed to talk to each other. We have to eat our meal in silence, and I want to tell you how shocking it was, okay? So on the first day, when we got there, and we had our first meal, and uh, the spiritual director told us to eat slowly and enjoy your food. So I ate slowly, church. You know, I ate. I, every mouthful, I think about it. I talk to the vegetable, and I, you are so delicious and nutritious. Um, yum, yum. I, I really ate slow. There was a bowl of soup, and I... And then when I finished, to my shock and my horror, I look at my watch, it took me six minutes. How fast do I eat on a normal day? Uh, when Li Hui first became staff, she had a first meal with me. Pastor, are you going somewhere? No. Why are you eating so fast? Fast, man. So I'm, I think, right, if in a silent retreat, talking to the vegetable and eat slowly, took take six minutes. On a normal day, maybe I just eat my lunch two minutes or three minutes. I'll just gobble up my food. And uh, with two kids and a crying son, <laughs> I don't know. Yesterday, we went to eat noodle. I think I chew part and just swallow. In, you know, there's no time to, to think about the noodle. You know, just gobble up my food. So it was my second silent retreat. I want to tell you, church, I'm very proud this year. I'm a good pastor. I didn't rendezvous with my wife in the park and talk to her. Maybe because I'm going with my team. I want to be a good example. So we never talk. The whole time, uh, we never talk. So... It's just quiet. I got a bit apprehensive because it's my second time. I was very afraid that because I know what to expect, what if God doesn't turn up? What if God doesn't say anything to me? I, I knew the first time I came here, my soul was really tired, I was really burdened, and I was so in tune to hearing God. But this time, I'm in a better place, not perfect, but better. What if God doesn't speak? So the first night, it was fun. You know, you have a whole team. The spiritual director was preparing us to enter the, the, the grand silence. That means after this moment, no more talking. Ah, you can see the nervousness in everybody. Uh, can I ask a question? Uh, uh, can I? No more. After this, no more. Everyone will be in total silence. And then she took out this verse in the scripture. And I want to read from NRSV because that's the version that she read. And uh, let, me, let me show you and, and take you to this journey together. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel at that time, 
all, I mean, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Because Elijah had just killed 450 prophets of Baal belonging to Jezebel and Ahab. And now she was upset and she sent this message through a messenger to Elijah. And you must, you got to imagine this with me for a moment. This guy just, I don't know how long ago, maybe a couple of hours ago, maybe a day ago, he just killed 450 guys with a sword. And suddenly he was afraid. Why? Because a woman was chasing her with a messenger. Verse 3, that he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Let's go to verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. This guy has just had a victory. And just as the, probably the biggest thing that ever happened in his life. And suddenly, he was afraid. He said, God, just let me die. The condition of his soul was so messed up because I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Verse 5 is very important. The Bible says he fell asleep. In the first two days, of our silent retreat you know everyone slept two afternoon naps one mother uh, said I was going to take a short afternoon nap she said to her surprise she woke up four hours later sleep it's a part of soul care and so we all felt bad the one hour we talked to the spiritual director I don't know why I'm sleeping and I'm hungry all the time. He said, Kevin, that's because your soul is tired. Your soul needed rest. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He, he slept, he woke up, ate, he slept again, the angel of the Lord woke him up again and then he ate. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food. Man, must be super food. 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. God wants you to eat. God wants you to sleep because the journey ahead is long. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed all your prophets with the sword. I alone and left. And they're seeking my life to take it away. One of the signs when your soul is not healthy you will think that you're the only one doing the work. You always think, I'm the only one trying to build the church. I'm the only one trying to build the company. I'm the only one trying to build the business and nobody cares. And that was the struggle of Elijah. He said, no one was left. I am the only one. He felt alone. He felt isolated and he felt deserted. He's, then the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Church, I want you to know, we are proud that we are a charismatic church. We are filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We love the imagery of the wind. If we post something and say, next week there's going to be a Holy Spirit meeting called the wind of the Holy Spirit. People will come 
and we, we like the spectacular. All of us do. We are human beings. You come to church and then the preacher, the wind of God. People fall down like, whoa. We like things spectacular like an earthquake. This church is shaking, not literally, but you know, everyone's like, whoa, shaking. Must be God. We like it. Or fire. We like, you know, we post posters like the fire of the Holy Ghost. Fire from heaven. We, we like that. Why did the three things happen? Maybe Elijah was expecting God to come in a wind. Maybe Elijah was expecting to come in an earthquake. Maybe Elijah was hoping that God would turn up in a fire, but God was not in any of them. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. This is one of the translations that talk about it. That God appeared in the sound of sheer silence and Elijah heard it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That sometimes the silence is deafening. You feel abandoned by people. You feel abandoned even by God. God, do you not care for me anymore? It is a sign our soul is struggling. Our soul is just not doing well. But when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the gate. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I, you see, it's always himself. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant. It's like, can you imagine you, you, you spend time praying? God, I'm the only one praying in the whole church, no one else praying. I'm the only one who loves you and nobody loves you. That's what he said. Thrown down your altars and kill your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they're seeking my life to take it away. And God speaks and God answers our prayer very interestingly. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. I, I never understood that. What, what has Hazael and Jehu and Elisha got to do with Elijah complaining about being left alone in a cave? That night, in that silent retreat, when I listened to that devotion, and uh, God began to minister to me. God began to remind me, say, remember when you were down, you think that you're the only one doing the work of God. You think that you're the only one that cared. And God assured me, I've prepared Hazael and Jehus and Elisha's in your life. I have not forsaken you. Church, if you are in a place in your life, you feel alone, you feel deserted, you feel lonely, you feel like nobody cares, and God wants to assure you today, I have prepared people around you. If three people are not enough, God says, I have prepared 7,000 others. I have prepared 7,000 others whose knees have not bowed, bowed to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed Him. God says, I have prepared people around your life to help you and to strengthen you. But Elijah heard this in silence, in the sound of sheer silence. Church, I'd like us to know this, that we don't need conferences for God to speak to us. We don't need to come to church for God to speak to us. We don't need to attend special seminars for God to speak to us. In fact, sometimes, we feel like God is not speaking to us. I want you to know God is more ready to speak to you than you are ready to hear. In that silent retreat for the whole week, there was no preacher, there was nobody, but every one of us encountered God. Every one of us heard God speaking.
to us. What do we need to do? We need to keep silence. It is when we finally understand that when our soul is well, all is well. I want to give you one very simple practical step to go home with. And I'm not going to give you a piecemeal and chew up the, the bone and let you just have the nugget. I'm giving you a tool now. Is that okay? I'm giving you a tool so that you can dig the ground yourself. I'm giving you a tool so that you can be grafted to the vine. And this is what I like to encourage you to do. You know, when I was growing up in an Anglican church, I was taught to pray. Amen? And uh, the church would teach me, all right, everybody learn to pray one hour a day. How many of you heard that one hour a day prayer? All right, man, I did it. I was a 15, 16 year old kid in church, but the pastor stayed one hour, ma, so I went home after school. Some of those days cannot pray in tongues yet, don't know how to pray in tongues. So I put on the CD and listened to Darlene Check. Those days quite easy, la. no other choices, one, just Hill Song, you know. Put on Hill Song and walk in the room, pace around and oh, worship God. You know, just keep singing to Jesus, sing, 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 sing already. Now I start praying. So I pray. I want to be a good Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. So I pray. I pray. La. I pray. One hour, you know. I, it's a long time. I pray. Anglican Church, so I prayed for the Queen of England. It was part of the prayer book, you know. She got to thank me. She's still alive today, man. I was praying for her when I was 15. You know, I pray, Lord, bless her. I've not even seen her before. Those days, no internet. I don't know how she looked like, but you know, God, give her good health. Let her run England like it was my country. Run it well. Maybe that's why I love England now. And Pray, pray for my prime minister, pray for my country, pray for my leaders. There's a sequence for you to follow. Pray for my parents, pray for my brother, pray for my school, pray for my studies, pray for my health. I pray. I tell you, I pray. I pray everything that I know how to pray. I even pray prayers that I knew, never knew existed. Pray. Look at my watch. Hallelujah. Oh, such an achievement. One hour. Man, like I pat on the shoulder, you know. It's good. First day. Dinner time. Went to bed. Five o'clock, wake up, go to school. Come home from school. Huh? One hour again. Second day. Darlene check again. Like, Darlene, like, oh, come on. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Let us sing. Ah, sing, 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 sing ready. Then pray. Yeah, I'll pray for the queen. No, yesterday I just prayed for her. No. Like, as if God forgotten my prayer, man. Like, come on. Like, God, give her good health. Bless her with wealth. You know what? Prayer, pray, pray with my country. Second day was not the same. I prayed. I felt, I, those of you from Africa, I have prayed for you before you were born. Because I got to pray for the children of Africa, you know? It's part of the routine. Oh, Africa, bless them, oh God. No more hunger. Prayer, pray. The second day, after I felt like I prayed forever, I look at my watch, seven minutes. God, church, I want you to know sustainability is way greater than revival. To be able to keep on running is way better than starting off the block fast. So I never do it again. And I'm not going to put that yoke on you to go home and pray for one hour every day. So this is what you do every day, maybe after lunch break. Get your lunch, you sit in your cubicle or your office or your space, whatever it is, you ask God, God, from when I woke up until now, when was the moment that I was closest to you? Oh, maybe when I was, I woke up this morning, when I was showering, I was praising God, I was closest. So you tell God, God, that was the closest moment to you. You give praises to God. The second thing you got to pray, when was the time that I was, I felt like I was most distant from you? Yes, when the car cut into my lane, when I was going to the office, I was angry. I didn't swear, but my heart swore that guy that was the furthest I was from you tell God that was my lowest moment that's it commit the two things to God go to work as usual at night before you go to bed do it one more time from after work until now when was the moment that I was closest to you God oh when the whole family sit down and watch TV or have a meal and everybody talk to each other I felt closest to God tell God when was the time that you were furthest away from God? 
when Zenzen refused to wear clothes after shower and wet and running around, jumping onto the bed, and I scolded him, that's when I felt I was furthest away from you. Tell God that. That was the low point of my life for that day, that part of the day. Tell God. Present to God all that. This is a part of soul care. This is a part of caring for your world. And I want to assure you, the more you do that, it doesn't have to be religious. It's not determined by how long, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. You realize that your soul is going to be more and more connected to God. You are drawing closer and closer to God. And when you do that, you become healthier and healthier. When your soul is healthy, you realize it is no longer about how successful I am. It is not about how much money I can earn or how big my company can be or how big our church can be. Sometimes the external growth is growing way faster than our inner life. But when my soul is healthy, I know how my involvement in each area is marking my soul. That means what is happening to my soul when that is happening. When our soul is healthy, we are life-giving. When our soul is not healthy, we are life-taking. Can I just, church, encourage you? Today, we will do a short one to learn how to care for our soul. Tomorrow night's team night, my wife said that it's going to be a very different team night. I hope I can take you to a place where you allow God to just care for your soul. It's just a revelation of the Word of God, you understand? Sometimes when you hear a powerful message, it only touch your mind. We want God to touch our soul. And everybody say, I want you to just learn to just close your eyes, bow your heads. Nobody needs to pray for you because sometimes we are so used to somebody laying hands on us. I want us to just quiet down our hearts. Think about your life. And think about, maybe just try from this morning until now, when was the moment that you were closest to God? And when was the moment that you were furthest away from God? Now, when you close your eyes, you realize that all kinds of thoughts come in and you think about something else, don't worry, okay? God is not going to judge you. It's normal. It's part of it. But you just try to focus on God, focus on the cross of Jesus. Just quiet down our hearts for a bit and let God minister to you to care for your soul, to tell you how much He loves you. You're my daughter, my son. I love you with an everlasting love. And that I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. always have your best interests at heart.